This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. No reservations for Rollies. It tells those people that the government is serious. Hope's landmark diner taken to court over its vaccine card defiance. Lifting COVID restrictions. What kind of shows can I book? Who benefits most from ending capacity limits and the group of doctors who believe the province is being reckless. And the long wait for residential school files. It really uh, diminishes the trust in our, in our PM. First Nations leaders on what truth and reconciliation will really take. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There's a lot of excitement about BC lifting the capacity limits at restaurants, theaters and sports events. For many in the hospitality sector, it is the only way to recover from the pandemic. But as Richard Zussman reports, many say they still need more clarity about what is allowed and what isn't. Capacity questions. What kind of shows can I book, you know? Can I book it at my full capacity or does it still have to be restricted to my seated capacity, which is less? As Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island prepare to move to 100% capacity next week, theatres like the rickshaw are grappling with what that means, especially considering they were planning on capacity changes to happen in September and due to the fourth wave of COVID-19, never did. I've been burned, Richard. <laughs> I, I booked a whole bunch of shows for September, October that I've had to cancel. The new capacity limits will only be for indoor events, where the BC vaccine card is in place. It opens the doors for conventions, Christmas parties, sporting events, weddings that have missed out on 20 months of revenues and revelry. But with Vancouver becoming the last major market in North America to lift capacity limits, it's been costly. Because of the uncertainty, we've seen an enormous number of meetings being cancelled over the fall season. And then, of course, we're going into the winter, which is our lowest demand time. The Canucks expect to play to a full house next Tuesday, meaning more people out spending money at bars and restaurants. The incremental side that we've been missing for the last 19 months is really, really important for Victoria, super important for Vancouver. While Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island have the green light, other regions don't. The eastern Fraser Valley from Abbotsford East, most of Northern Health and the interior are still stuck at 50% capacity. We haven't had any information from Interior Health. Uh, we're trying to get answers uh, and we believe those small business and entrepreneurs need to know why. What's the rationale? The province providing some clarity to that Wednesday, saying restrictions put in place at the peak of the fourth wave in the interior remain. Those measures are reviewed every day, and uh, uh, and uh, you'll that will be an issue that um, Dr. Henry will address probably uh, next Tuesday. All right, Richard Zussman joins us now live. Richard, lifting those capacity limits is one thing, but the major challenge still facing businesses is finding enough staff to meet that new demand. What are businesses telling you? 
Yeah, there are going to be a lot of workers that need to be hired, Chris, here at the Save On Foods Memorial Arena in Victoria. They will need staff. They will need staff at Rogers Arena. They will need staff at BC Place. The restaurant and hospitality sector have a massive shortage. They are watching two things very closely. The first now is stability. That has come. The next is the SIR benefits, and those wrap up on Saturday. So there's some optimism that now with clarity, hiring people will become just a little bit easier. Certainly an incentive to get back to work. Thanks very much, Richard. All right, let's take a look now at the latest COVID-19 numbers. We have 696 new cases and 4,888 active cases. 370 people are in hospital. 139 of them are in ICU. There have been six more deaths from complications of COVID-19. And 83.6% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Well, the deadline is fast approaching for BC healthcare workers to be vaccinated. And thousands still haven't received their first dose. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. They could be forced off the job next week, next week Keith, mm -hmm. and that could have an impact on health authorities. Oh, yeah, this could be virtual chaos because we're talking thousands of people uh, being not being allowed to work because they're not vaccinated in a very broadly defined healthcare sector. It goes well beyond the medical community. We're talking contractors, cleaners, nutritionists, the whole gamut of jobs in the healthcare sector. The good news is a very high vaccination rate, 96%. The bad news is 4% sounds small, but when you apply it to a big group of people, we're talking thousands of people potentially affected by this. Take a look at the numbers as they break down by health authority. Most of the uh, unvaccinated Vaccinated workers are in the interior health at 7% uh, unvaccination rate. Vancouver Coastal, a smaller percentage, but still a lot of people. Vancouver Island, again, more than a thousand of people affected here. The lowest of, uh, unvaccinated rate is in Fraser Health, with relatively fewer people, the 735. And the list goes on to include others as well, uh, including PHSA and Northern Health, uh, again, with lower numbers. But you add it all together, and look what I'm talking about more than 5,500 people. And that's probably gone down a little bit since this list was compiled. 5,500 people have not received a single dose of vaccine, which means they will not be allowed to work in healthcare as of Tuesday. We caught up with Health Minister Adrian Nix today, who says this shows there are consequences if you're not vaccinated. It's not without consequences uh, when people aren't vaccinated. We have a number of outbreaks in BC where staff members are off, either as contacts or because they're sick with COVID-19. And um, we need uh, everybody in healthcare to be vaccinated. So I'm working on getting a breakdown of occupations within healthcare, guys, and I hope to have that either tomorrow or in the days ahead, because we are talking about thousands of people, and that includes nurses, doctors, cleaners, nutritionists, people who work in all aspects of healthcare. Uh, 130,000 people, 4% unvaccinated, that's more than 5,000. Pretty troubling numbers. All right, thanks for that, Keith. The private labs most British Columbians rely on could soon be affected by strike action. Life Labs and the union representing its employees can't come to an agreement even after months of negotiation, bargaining and mediation. Members of the General Employees Union have issued a 72-hour notice to strike. And as Grace Key reports, wages are the main point of contention. We'll poke, take a deep breath. If you're in need of lab work, you may want to double-check your appointment. The BC General Employees Union has given a 72-hour strike notice to Life Labs. The privately owned company handles most outpatient lab work in the province and it conducts private COVID-19 tests. Health Minister Adrian Dix came under fire during question period. What is the nature of the impact and what contingency does the minister and the government, the premier have in place? We're preparing a plan for that, but what I'm saying is the COVID-19 testing will continue. 
at, uh, at certainly at its current levels and beyond that. Life Labs is an essential service. The last strike in 2013 saw 40 labs shut down in one-day and two-day rotating strikes. Not all Life Labs are affected. The union represents more than 1,500 workers in 94 out of 130 locations. There will be no impact on COVID testing sites. Most Life Labs patient services centres will remain open and services centres in particularly in remote and rural locations will be at 100% capacity. An overwhelming 98% of union members voted to strike. Job action could start as early as Friday night. Wages remains the main sticking point. If you work for a private company doing exactly the same job as might be done in the public service, you get paid less. And so our members doing exactly the same work as hospital lab workers make between 45 to 13.5% less than those workers. A statement from Life Labs reads, we have delivered multiple competitive offers to the BCGEU and reached agreement on several specific proposals. However, after the union rejected our latest offer, we agreed that we have reached an impasse in bargaining. The union will have a website up showing which centers will be on strike. Life Labs will also notify you if you have an appointment that needs to be rescheduled. Both sides have been negotiating since April and so far there are no plans to head back to the bargaining table. Grace Key, Global News. A group of B.C. doctors and medical experts has started what they call independent briefings on the province's COVID situation. The idea is to empower people with that knowledge uh, so that we can all better protect ourselves. The doctors who call their group Protect Our Province say they're providing the briefings as a counterpoint to the official government information being provided by Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. The group wants the government to release more information about the case and hospitalization numbers and take stronger measures to control the spread of the virus. If we compare uh, where we're at now to last year, same time, uh, we have six times more hospitalizations, uh, I think like eight times more ICU admissions and 11 times more deaths. We, we had 93 deaths just in the last two weeks. Um, you know, our, our, our acute care staff are exhausted and traumatized and burnt out and our kids still um, are not in contrast with the government health briefings, Protect Our Province only took questions from one reporter during today's event. A defiant stand against proof of vaccination cards landed in B.C. Supreme Court today as Fraser Health took the owners of a Hope restaurant to court. Officials want to shut down Raleigh's Diner for refusing to comply with provincial health orders. John Waugh reports. There was a steady flow of traffic outside of Rollies for most of the day. But the kitchen was closed, the doors locked shut, while the owners of the Hope restaurant went to court. Rollies should have a choice. They choose to respect the medical privacy of their patrons. Fraser Health seeking an injunction against Rollies restaurant to enforce a closure order put in place after the owners refused to ask customers for proof of vaccination. It's not about government control, it's about health. It's about getting rid of this pandemic. Owner Marlene Abling was denied a request for an adjournment, asking for more time to seek legal counsel. Still telling the court, public health does not supersede the rights of the people. This is totally unreasonable. There are not critical concerns. There is no health risk here. Hello there. 
flagrant disobedience of both the public health and closure orders Time to fight! is why lawyers for Fraser Health asked the court to send the message. The rules will be enforced. James Golden arguing it comes out of the mouth of the defendants in terms of they're not complying and they won't be complying with the order. That we say is sufficient for a statutory injunction. The likelihood of the injunction being approved in this case is high. Um, with a case like this, we're not dealing with competing uh, issues like they, they are with the churches where the injunction might affect somebody's ability to practice their religious freedoms. Lawyer Kyla Lee is not involved in the Rollies case, but says choosing to operate without a business or liquor license may not bode well with the judge. Making the decision today to defy the orders could have very long-term consequences for whether these individuals are allowed to continue running their business at all. Someone who says they're a former employee at Rollies says allowing it to stay open is too much of a risk. Minimum wage for being exposed to COVID like that? No thanks. Whether Rollies will reopen its doors anytime soon will be decided when the judge delivers his decision on Thursday. John Hua, Global News, Hope. So we can't have any discussion? No, we can do that later. We're past, past that point. But you guys came in yesterday and I was ordered to close. Two coastal health employees informing the owners of Corduroy Restaurant in Kitsilano its ordered closed for not complying with the province's vaccine card requirements. A closure notice from VCH has been posted on the front door and the city says its business license has been suspended until December 31st. The restaurant wouldn't provide a comment to Global News but says on its website that it's closed today to, quote, strategize. Well, it is day three of Variety Week here on Global. Variety often seen as the last chance charity, the place people look to when all other funding options fall short. And we've seen some amazing examples this week of how Variety has provided children with physiotherapy sessions, when government programs are inadequate, or when they fund autism assessments so kids don't have to wait years for a diagnosis. And later, we'll hear about a young man with Down syndrome and how Variety jumped in to help him when no one else would. Please call 310-KIDS now and add your name to our list of generous donors. And when you do, an anonymous donor will match your donation tonight up to $30,000. So please call. Now, the federal government says it's already handed over millions of documents related to residential schools, but the Truth and Reconciliation Center says it hasn't received those yet. The dispute that's eroding trust. Next on the News Hour. A wedding ceremony that looks more like a carnival, and how the Ferris wheel in the front yard isn't the only thing that got too much attention. That's coming up on the News Hour. And the BC University that just beat all the other teams with its indigenous uniform designs. The artist behind it later. Right now, though, an ongoing dispute over documentary evidence from residential schools is illustrating some of the challenges facing this country with just the truth piece of truth and reconciliation. The prime minister has said the federal government handed over all the archival material, while the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation says it still hasn't received it. Nitu Garcha reports. Survivor strength, stories, and culture on full display in a packed powwow arbor on September 30th. And also, I want to recognize. Compared to a much quieter and emptier venue on Monday, when the Prime Minister made a visit to make amends for not attending the Tecumloops to Shwetmik Communities National Day for Truth and Reconciliation event. A lot of people were disrespected, so why would we want to go and, and sit there in front of him? 
Shackin Chief Arnie Lampro was at both events near the former Kamloops Indian Residential School, which he attended. The sexual abuses, the physical abuses. I was talking to a, a couple of the ministers that were there in Kamloops the other day and, and showed them the scars. A critical part of healing wounds for survivors like him, he says, is identifying the children buried near the school, using attendance records in the custody of the church and the federal government. All the records in possession of the federal government uh, have already been turned over to the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation in Winnipeg. But the center says the PM statement is not accurate, adding it's still waiting for the final versions of documents, Indian hospital records, federal health records, and day school records. really uh, diminishes the trust in our in our PM. In an emailed statement on Wednesday, the Prime Minister's press secretary told Global News the government has provided over 4 million documents to the centre and that it was believed all documents were provided, adding, if that's not the case, we will do everything we can in making sure the documents are provided. We do not need a document dump as, as some of the entities and some of the government uh, departments have done in the past. We need them in a fashion that it is that it is uh, useful to the survivors. It's such an untrue statement, you know, and uh, another way of the government dragging its its feet. He says full document disclosure is long overdue, given negotiations for them began in 2015. Nitu Garcha, Global News. And again, we understand these stories might be triggering for some of our viewers. So if you or someone you know needs support, you can call the number on your screen. That's 1-866-925-4419. That crisis line operates 24 hours a day. The family of Carson Cremeni was in court today for day one of what is a long journey ahead of them. A warning, some of the images in this story are disturbing. I've been waiting for this for two years, so... um... Yeah, we're, we're 100% ready. 14-year-old Carson died from a drug overdose near a Langley skate park in August of 2019. His father says the drugs were given to Carson by older individuals and videos showing some of Carson's last moments alive were posted online. A charge of manslaughter was approved against a 20-year-old man who cannot be named because he was a youth at the time of Carson's death. The next court date is set for November 24th. Up ahead, higher prices. We are definitely still seeing um, the reopening impacts. What's driving inflation, especially in the auto sector? Coming up later. And when no one else could hear Nate's plea for help, Variety stepped in. How your donations help give him a voice. Busy but steady for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 through Burnaby this afternoon, but seeing pockets of volume at merge points like Kensington right here. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. Canada's inflation rate has risen to its highest level in nearly 20 years, to 4.4%. And BC's rate isn't far behind. The big question for many, though, is it short-term pain or is it long-term agony? Ted Chernecki has the numbers and the analysis. You probably don't need us to tell you. It's getting more expensive out there for just about everything. 
But the Bank of Canada has consistently said not to worry. This inflation is transitory. In terms of whether this is transitory or whether it's um, more persistent, I think it's really going to be a mix of both right now. We are definitely still seeing um, the reopening impacts on uh, overall prices. To explain inflation, one need look no further than the jammed up port of Los Angeles. During COVID, we did a lot of ordering. We're still seeing the impact of that. Uh, on uh, overall ports is that there's a high demand trying to get into the U.S. market, um, but uh, they don't have other enough um, capacity to uh, dock those ships. Even within the U.S., there's labor shortages, so they're having problems staffing those ports as well in some cases. So all of that comes together, and, and you do see why these bottlenecks are still occurring. In B.C. in the last 12 months, home replacement costs are up 12.5%, but rent is only up 1.5%. And municipal governments have been no help at all, increasing property taxes on average 3.6%, the highest increase in Canada. Other big ticket items, passenger cars up 7%, the cost of food 3.5%, meat up by more than 12%, dairy 3.2%, fish 4.4%, but fruit and vegetables, at least in BC, are actually less expensive than a year ago. In one sense, this inflation is good news, as it's showing that the economy is picking up. The cost to that, however, will be that I think eventually we'll start to see the need to start pulling away the punch bowl, but only if the economy remains solid. And that means, means rate hikes coming from the Bank of Canada. How much depends on who you ask, because some of this inflation is not COVID-related. So by the time the dust settles, by the end of the year in 2023, we're expecting about two full percentage points worth of rate hikes. The days of ultra-cheap money may soon be over. Ted Chernahy, Global News. And of course, if you're looking to sell your vehicle, now is the time. A shortage of semiconductor chips has stalled new car production dramatically increasing demand for used vehicles. But should you trade it in or sell it privately? Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with what you need to know. And Thanks, Sophie. If your vehicle is in decent condition, industry experts say you're almost always going to receive a higher price if you sell it on your own. But even in a seller's market, it will take more work. You'll have to respond to potential buyers, show the car, and market it effectively. The nonprofit Automobile Protection Association says that advertising starts with an honest ad detailing your vehicle's attributes. You should also clean up your car, have it washed and or detailed, and spend a couple hundred dollars to have small scratches or dents removed professionally. It should pay off as private sellers are reporting that popular vehicles like combat cars and SUVs are going fast and often for asking price. If going it alone is too much of a hassle, trading in your vehicle or selling it directly to a dealer is another option. Normally, when you're going to a dealer, you know you're accepting a wholesale or lesser value for the vehicle. But right now, the market is in turmoil and dealers are stepping up. Sometimes wholesale is equal to resale. The dealer also is able, if you have a more recent vehicle, so uh, let's say a four or five or six-year-old vehicle, that they will be interested in retailing themselves. They can arrange financing for a prospective buyer. So that increases their potential pool of customers. If you have an older vehicle, the people that see are independent dealers. They're more flexible. They're often easier to work with. You need to bring your paperwork with you. You should bring a vehicle history if you uh, get one done, a Carfax or something similar. And um, also, if you have maintenance records, those would be very helpful as well so that they can make a more informed offer. 
Now, if you have an old vehicle that's parked and no longer drivable, industry experts say this is probably the best time to sell it. The recycling value has never been higher, especially if the vehicle has its original catalytic converter, which contains precious metals. The car could be worth as much as $500 to a scrap metal dealer. And while it's a great time to sell, remember, it's a hard time to buy. The global shortage of semiconductor chips is still forcing automakers around the world to halt or slow down production. If you still plan to drive, make sure to lock in a replacement vehicle before getting rid of your old one. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Ann. Coming up, kids getting sick, but not with COVID. We freak out every time she coughs or sneezes and we go, are we gonna make it out today? The warning from health specialists about why even young ones should get that flu shot. And the First Nations artist behind UNBC's groundbreaking new uniforms. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions tonight over here at the Botello Bridge with the majority of the delay on the Columbia Street on-ramp out of New West. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Ridge. Some weddings are lavish and extravagant, but one newlywed couple in Surrey seems to have taken it a step further. This property, located at 192nd Street and 72nd Avenue, is the talk of the town and not all of it's good. RCMP say they received more than 50 complaints last night about loud noise and music and traffic being blocked. There are reports the wedding is that of Punjabi singer and actor Parmesh Verma and former Liberal candidate Geet Grewal. Surrey bylaw issued 15 tickets for parking infractions and towed a number of vehicles. Today, a stop work order was issued to the property owner for not getting permits for the large tents and questionable electrical setup. And the organizer was instructed to cease and desist activities, including that giant Ferris wheel. Well, the ability to communicate is what connects us. And when that ability is denied, it leads to feelings of frustration and isolation. For some children, communication does not come easily. It takes dedicated specialists, and these therapies can be very expensive. But the boy you're about to meet has found his voice thanks to your donations to Variety. Everywhere I looked, nobody would take him, nobody would help, nobody, doors were shut here, there, and everywhere. No family anticipates that critical support services will be completely cut off for their child. But that's exactly what happened to Nate, an 18-year-old boy with Down syndrome in desperate need of continued speech and language therapy, simply so his voice can be heard. Trying to express your needs, your thoughts, your desires to somebody who has no clue what you're saying your whole life. Imagine how that feels. And for me, that's heartbreaking because I don't ever want my child to feel misunderstood. Hi, Tyler. Say it again. Hi, Tyler. 
Children with Down syndrome typically have difficulty with grammar and sentence structure, yet most of these kids can comprehend much more than they can express. Nate has been attending speech and language sessions since he was six years old, as he tries to learn how to communicate. He also has a challenge in the area of his speech intelligibility, that sort of um, what we call motor planning, where the brain's connection to how we speak just is fluid and, and rapid. For, for Nate, it's not fluid, it's not rapid. Despite the continual progress being made by Nate's speech and language pathologist, gaps in the provincial at-home program meant that when he turned 18 years old, Nate was going to be cut off from the funding he required to maintain his communication skills. When he misses a week of speech therapy, we might lose two or three months worth of learning. That's hard. So if you miss a year, you're right back at square one. Variety is there for kids when they need it most, when there are no other options. And for Nate, that meant there would be no lapse in his coverage. Nate's speech and language sessions would continue thanks to Variety's caring, a mother's conviction, and your support. I don't care that everybody's shutting the door. Somebody's got to open this door because this kid deserves to speak. And they said, you're right. He does deserve, deserve to speak and Variety came in and they filled that gap where nobody else, nobody else was filling it. Variety is there for families when healthcare ends and yet currently there are 90 kids waiting for speech and language grants to be approved. So please donate now, call 310kids or go online to variety.bc.ca. And remember, throughout the news hour tonight, your donations will be matched up to $30,000. Good to see Nate getting the help he needs. And with schools back in session and more people socializing indoors, BC Children's Hospital says it's dealing with more young patients with respiratory infections. Last year, there were no cases of the flu, but this season, the hospital is seeing higher than normal numbers and earlier. Kamal Karamali has more on the troubling trend and what parents should watch out for. The drizzly, dreary, wet weather might not dampen the spirits of kids heading into the Vancouver Aquarium. Whoa! <laughs> but for parents, there's a worry that keeps floating to the surface. We freak out every time she coughs or sneezes and we go, are we going to make it out today? Kids getting hit by respiratory viral illnesses. Colds and coughs, sneezing and sore throats, fever and the flu. It seems like almost every child has the bug or knows someone who does. People are going to get the flu now. We're all exposed to other people. It's gotten so bad this season, the BC Children's Hospital is seeing a spike in patients with respiratory illnesses, causing major delays in their emergency department. We are seeing um, longer than normal wait times at the moment with these increased respiratory illnesses. Um, it's still important to remember to come to the emergency department if you're really worried about your child. 30% of all visits to the hospital's ER in the past month are related to respiratory viral illnesses. This time last year, there were surprisingly few cases recorded. We all washed our hands, wore a mask, and stayed home like we were supposed to. But compare that to two years ago. There are 
300 more children with respiratory illnesses in the ER this month compared to the same time in 2019. And because the illnesses share so many of the same symptoms as COVID-19, staff have had to conduct 40% more coronavirus tests compared to last month, leaving the system backlogged and staff overworked. Dr. Claire Seaton said the wave of respiratory illnesses is also happening much earlier in the year than usual. We normally have a, a, a rise in RSV infections in late fall over the winter time through till spring. The province says all they can do is encourage everyone to get the flu shot. When we're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and other issues, it's not a year we want to see uh, other respiratory illnesses. The province says it's purchased nearly two and a half million influenza vaccines and offering it for free to anyone in B.C. six months and older. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Still ahead, toothpaste that doesn't need a tube. Good Organics was a way for us to say, hey, we can do better. The First Nations company filling what they saw as a gap in dental care. But first, ocean plastics showing up in the strangest places and the people trying to clean it up. Well, even though they live in some of the world's most remote waters, a new study of belugas and their food sources has found startlingly high levels of microplastics. The SFU study focused on belugas in the eastern Beaufort Sea, located north of the Northwest Territories, Yukon and Alaska. And it looked at both the whales and the five species of fish that make up most of their diet. Measurable amounts of microplastics were found in more than 20% of the fish, which led the research team to conclude the belugas must ingest upwards of 145,000 microplastic particles every year. Well, a nonprofit organization says its new technology has collected tens of thousands of kilograms of plastic from the Pacific Ocean. The group's vessel returned to Victoria today, and Kylie Stanton has more on what was discovered in the waters and what's next for the ocean cleanup. This gives a whole new meaning to the phrase catch and release. Buckets, buoys and fishing gear by the crate. All of it pulled from the Pacific Ocean, now back on land in Victoria. And what's being hailed a massive success. Today here we're going to announce proof of technology. And from that we can really continue our operations to clean up the great Pacific garbage patch. For the past 12 weeks, the ocean cleanup has been testing its collection system, a massive 800-meter-long device towed behind two vessels through the ocean. We have seen that the system safely interacted with marine life during the offshore campaign. And most importantly, we have shown that we are capable to repeatedly harvest large amounts of plastic. From nine test extractions, the organization collected a total of 28,659 kilograms of plastic from the ocean, of which more than 9,000 kilos was removed in a single haul. While discarded fishing gear makes up the majority of the debris, there are also toilet seats, toothbrushes, laundry baskets, shoes and crates in the mix, providing a glimpse of humanity's impact on the environment. It still would have floated out there, you know, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, probably even 100 years from now. This stuff is so persistent and that's of course precisely the reason why we have to go and clean it up. It's no small task. The Pacific Garbage Patch is the largest on the planet, 1.6 million square kilometers in size, containing trillions of pieces of plastic. 
the nonprofit group based in the Netherlands has plans in place to eradicate it and others around the globe. The ultimate goal is to remove 90% of all floating plastic in the five oceanic uh, garbage patches by 2040. With trials now complete, that work starts immediately. At the same time, the team is initiating development of a larger system, which is expected to be the blueprint design for scaling the fleet. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Incredible, some of the stuff they found. All right, astonishing. let's bring in uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at our forecast. And uh, another fall wallop is on our way. That's right. So we've got several systems that are on deck. The first one we saw today, we've got another one in store for us tomorrow. Quick, let's just have a look at some of the, your gorgeous fall shots. One to start things off, and I'll show you a couple more towards the end. Thank you to Glenn for sharing that one with us. So we've got wind warnings in place. Outer coast of Vancouver Island, 100 kilometer an hour winds, 80 for the inner coast. That's Comox, Powell River, for example. This is through the day tomorrow and overnight tomorrow night into Friday morning. So west coast of Vancouver Island will get wet first, and they'll, they'll start to see it tomorrow morning but for the most part in the morning for metro vancouver dry don't leave home without your rain jacket the commute home tomorrow will be slow on the roads and you'll definitely need to keep yourself dry inland regions not a bad day tomorrow you'll see some fog patches in the morning but otherwise sunshine it's the coastal regions that will see the rainfall and again for metro vancouver it is later in the day and we'll see that overnight into our friday morning friday not looking too bad we've got another one on deck for saturday and another one for sunday so yeah definitely a week to keep that rain jacket handy and uh, we could hit 16 degrees tomorrow which would be really nice we haven't yet this october and that's the first time on record qualicum beach thank you to roger for that one this is the french creek trestle and look at this one more from pit meadows thank you to yasmin for that one gorgeous shot uh I believe that one is from Yasmin. I hope so. Uh, I will double check that uh, at the end of the show. I, I just have a feeling that I may have done something wrong there, and I apologize. Um, anyways, back to you guys. I'll, I'll wrap it up now. All right. We can, we can always correct it later. Okay. Fine. Thanks, Christy. The University of Northern BC and Prince George is right on track, making Canadian history today. To be a timber wolf is to be greater than oneself. The UNBC Timberwolves unveiling their newest logo, becoming the first college or university athletic program in Canada to have an alternate logo and jersey designed completely by an Indigenous artist. The logo, created by Gitsan artist Trevor Angus, who attended UNBC from 2000 to 2003. I was really um, surprised today to hear that this is the first university or college in Canada that has actually added an, a First Nations aspect to any of the sporting uh, uniforms, right? So I'm really proud to, to hear that, of course. It just shows how powerful this movement is and how strongly the athletic department feels about building the relationship with the Indigenous communities. Fascinating stuff. The syllabics on the jersey, those little symbols, translate roughly to Enchahona. I hope we're saying that even remotely correctly which translates to respecting all forms of life. Very cool. Good-looking uniform. Mm -hmm. They do look good. All right, uniforms, hockey, sports, Squire. Well, it didn't matter what uniform the Canucks were wearing last night. They didn't look good. Mm -mm. Uh, Now, they haven't forgotten what happened in Buffalo on Tuesday, but they won't let it get them down either. You know, it's only been four games in the season. Obviously, we want to nip it in the butt right away. Well, we'll talk about what happened against the Sabres and why the Canucks' power play 
is not powerful yet. Also coming up, something to chew on. A First Nation company develops no-waste toothpaste. Canucks Nation can be a fickle bunch, but this is no time to hit the panic button. Well, on the day uh, you're told that you can have a full house, don't give, a pe- don't give people a reason not to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes were not at training camp for the Canucks, when they were waiting for their new contracts, Travis Green was openly worried that it could hurt them at the start of the regular season, not being ready. And he was right. Hughes is actually now hurt, at least to the point where he didn't play last night against Buffalo, and he did not practice today. They hope he can play tomorrow. Pedersen has only had three shots in his last two games. And the power play, which Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes are supposed to lead, is only 17th best in the NHL right now. Of course, we're only four games into this season. Still, nobody likes what we saw last night in Buffalo. You can't rush. I mean, you can't change the fact that we didn't have certain guys in training camp and they haven't been able to work together as a unit. Now, it should be noted that Elias Pettersson's only goal so far this season actually came on the power play. It should also be noted he scored that goal despite missing the net. Lucky bounces are not what good power plays are built around. I think our power play will... We'll start to gel, but again, we've got to get those guys back on the ice together. The Canucks were 0 for 3 on the power play last night against Buffalo, but it actually wasn't special teams that did them in against the Sabres. It was a lack of effort and attention to detail. They're soft, wasn't enough intensity. Um, they play a little bit more gritty and physical and direct to you know, play our game and be successful. You know, you're not going to be perfect every night, but... Again, when you're not perfect that night, you got to find ways to get it done, and, and we didn't. So today, Travis Green ran his players through a hard practice to remind them of the work ethic needed to win. You know, I think your compete level drives a lot of things in your game, uh, not just puck battles or getting to the net. Uh, you know, it drives your your speed and your skating, willingness to get to hard hard places. Um, and I didn't think we had enough of that. Out of enough players. And tomorrow night it is Chicago. Coming up at 7 o'clock, the Whitecaps will be in Portland to play the Timbers. Now this is uh, part of a two-game road trip this week. Vancouver is still on the outside of the playoffs. Their noses are pressed up against the door trying to get in. They are one point behind Minnesota, which has the seventh and final spot in the West. should mention Minnesota right now is leading its game against Philadelphia 3-2 with about four minutes uh, left in that one. Okay, what we're looking at here are some new uniforms. The uh, Vancouver Giants have unveiled. One of them is actually built to uh, commemorate community heroes during the pandemic. People like grocery store clerks, mechanics, teachers, other frontline workers. All right, all Canadian athletes and personnel uh, selected to go to the Winter Olympics next February and the Paralympics next March in Beijing must be fully vaccinated. If uh, not, you don't go. The Americans are doing the same thing with their athletes. Now, at the Summer Games in Tokyo, not all Canadian athletes were fully vaccinated, but we were close. About 95% of our athletes and officials were double vaccinated for the Summer Games. All right, ALCS this afternoon. Once again, Houston putting up a crooked number on the Boston Red Sox. The games in this series outside of game one have not been close. Last night, Houston scored nine. Today, they scored nine, and both at Fenway Park. 
Jordan Alvarez in the second inning gave them a quick lead. And then five runs in the sixth. Alvarez again down the line to the corner and left field. That's a stand-up double. And Houston now leads the series 3-2. And they can uh, end it all on Friday at home if they win. Oh, I'm here now. Okay, back to you. <laughs> all right. We moved around on that one. Yeah, it was a little, we were dealing with some technical issues with your cameras. I'm pretty sure about it anyway. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the Made in BC toothpaste you can really sink your teeth into. Stay with us. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. Well, it's a product you're supposed to use after every meal, but most people don't give toothpaste too much thought. Now, one Indigenous-led business say they have found a better solution. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, they claim both your mouth and the environment will benefit. It's a morning ritual, squeezing out some toothpaste and doing a thorough brushing. But why a paste? It does tend to make a mess. Put it in your mouth, chew it up, and start brushing. Now, Indigenous-owned Good Organics is selling 100% organic toothpaste tablets. The real focus is just actually removing plastic and removing the stuff that is actually bad. That's our focus. We found organic supplementations that work much better and, you know, less is more in toothpaste. As an Indigenous-owned business, it was super important to us to stay true to the values of the Indigenous culture, one with the planet, taking care of the planet, um, protecting what goes in and out of your body, maintaining a strong uh, mental, spiritual, physical presence uh, to us. Those values were just, it, it goes hand in hand with our product. The tablets were launched following more than a year of research and consultations with dentists. It tastes natural, it uh, smells natural, and uh, you don't feel it's like a chemical. I really recommend this one to uh, the patients and other people to just give it a try. GoodOrganicsCompany.com is selling the tablets exclusively for now, and its founders have other products in the works. Both thrilled to be following their vision. You might not always find your support in your circle or even in your city, but there's always people out there that align with you. Quit my job that I hated for about seven years to start this business. So that was, uh, you know, that was a big step for me. And, you know, I'm happy where we're, where we're at and where the business is going. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Good for them. So cool. All right, we've seen all week how variety is there for families when they need it most. And you, our viewers, have once again responded with a lot of generosity. Right now, variety can provide support for 332 kids. That's over $828,000 in donations. Thank you so much to everyone in BC who's donated. We want to be able to help 700 kids by Friday. So go online or call now, 310KIDS, and we're matching your donations. And we have a weather window correction. Christy. <laughs> yes, my apologies that I got these photos mixed up. But Mike Luke, he sent us the, this photo, and this is the uh, Lockwood Creek uh, near Port Alberni. Thanks to Mike for that. Beautiful shot. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.